you would please stand with me uh, as we read God's Word, Christ's Word for us. Our King is speaking to us as we hear His Word in Acts 15, beginning in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well known or well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You may be seated. Now, in in comparison to the passage we saw last week, which is one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, the passage we come to this morning is just recording the travelings of the Apostle Paul. We might... If we uh, came to this passage and decided, do I really want to spend much time studying this passage? We might say, uh, no, I think there are more important passages to focus on. This is one reason why I love preaching through the whole Bible. We don't skip over passages because God is holding out for us as the, in the same way that he said in 2 Timothy 3 that all of Scripture is what we need in order to be made complete. And this passage is what we need in order to be matured in the faith and strengthened in the faith. And I believe that this passage will do just that. I want to give you a layout of the passage before we look more closely into it. This passage is divided into three sections, and and we see the divisions because Paul is going to different places. Look in chapter 15, verse 36. 
Paul and Barnabas are talking about leaving where they are to go back to every city where they had proclaimed the word of the Lord. Then in chapter 16, verse 1, I want you to see how the passage is laid out. Chapter 16, verse 1, Paul comes to Derby and Lystra and there meets Timothy. And then in chapter 16, verse 6, they are traveling into different areas and then the focus then comes upon a different person in chapter 16, verse 6 and following. So what I'm saying is that our passage this morning shifts as we come to different places and we meet a specific person who comes into focus and encourages us what faithfulness looks like. Here's the point of the passage. The word of Christ fills the world. They're traveling through the world. The Word of Christ fills the world through faithful people. So this morning, I want to look at these three people who encourage us what it means to be faithful in spreading the Word of Christ. Look, first of all, in chapter 15, verses 36 through 41, at an ironic example for us, which is Mark, the one who withdrew from the mission. Point number one is withdrawing Mark. Chapter 15, verse 36. And I do encourage you to keep your Bibles open. I think you will be helped. And this will be a much more interesting time to you if you're looking in God's word. Because I'm going to keep pointing to it like now. Chapter 15, verse 36. Paul comes to Barnabas and says, let's go back to every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and let's see how the believers are there. Let's go back to the, 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 the churches that we planted in our first missionary journey together. And Paul is none too pleased whenever Barnabas suggests that they let Mark, the mama's boy, Tag along with them. See, God is being very honest about the sharp debates and disagreements that filled the early church when they were first taking the gospel into the world. It was not long into Paul and Barnabas' partnership that John Mark was with them, but left them and went home in chapter 13. We don't know all the reasons. We know that Paul and Barnabas were facing persecution. Everyone who means to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus does. Maybe it was hardship in the, in the circumstances of the mission. But John Mark, maybe homesick, wants to go back to Jerusalem and he left him. And so Barnabas sees this as an opportunity for him to have a second chance. And Paul says, no, we can't take the risk. He's already proven himself. We're not going to bring Mark with us. These are, when we look at Paul and Barnabas, trusted partners in the gospel. Uh, this is the first dream team of ministry. It's the first missionary team that God's people had sent out. And what we see in verses 39 through 41 is the band breaks up. And this should be a bummer to us when 
Barnabas has to split from Paul and take John Mark with him to Cyprus. And Paul has to now pick someone to replace Barnabas. He gets Silas. Silas has been faithful. And so they go on to Syria and Cilicia. Christ is not just filling the world with his word. He is. Christ is filling a fallen world with his word, the good news of who he is. He wants that sent out through all to cross all borders. And every place it goes, it goes to a fallen world. There's a lesson here for fallen people like you and me who want to be part of this work of serving Christ. And and the sad lesson here is that sometimes co-laborers separate. Fellowship, a commitment to one another in Christ, a commitment to serve Christ together, fellowship in a a fallen world is, is fragile. And sometimes even saved, even mature sinners break that fellowship. So let me give you just three, three insights I think that we can learn from this event uh, as we seek to not turn away from the mission because it may hurt us, not just go it alone because people will fail us. Not to give up when we are failed, we have failed. The first lesson is as far as it is up to you, work for peace with everyone. Don't be the one in the story who is not willing to do the hard work for reconciliation. It's hard work. Don't be the one who's not willing to do that. And understand this, that sometimes you will be in a situation that no matter how willing you are to make peace, the other party is not. And that that is just a sad reality of sinners partnering together to do God's work. The second thing is, is that just because... People part ways does not mean that Christ can't bring them back together. Now, I can testify to the pain of verse 39. I have experienced this pain. I have experienced the the feeling of fear, what's going to happen. And, and, and when, when those moments happen, it can feel like all that I can see is this is going to last forever. This is ultimate. This is permanent. It, there's no hope for it. We've, we've parted. But I have also experienced 1 Corinthians 9 and 2 Timothy 4. Later, when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and talks about his partner in the ministry, Barnabas. Later, at the end of his life, 
in 2 Timothy 4 when he's about to die and he says, please go get Mark and bring him to me because he is very useful to me in ministry. So when we go through these kinds of separations, we should trust the Lord. We should be committed to pursuing peace and we should use whatever time we're apart to still labor for that reconciliation that can happen in Christ. But the third thing we just observe here is that is what Jesus ends up doing with this sharp disagreement that leads to a separation. He spreads out his faithful servants in order to continue to send out the word. So he divides up the one team, creates two, and he just keeps to the priority of pushing the word out. There's a lesson for fallen people who are serving Christ. But there's also a lesson here about Christ using fallen people. Listen to me. Failure, like the failure of John Mark. Paul had reason to suspect John Mark. He had reason for concern over John Mark. He did fail to be faithful back when he left the team. But failure is not the final word. The word of Christ fills the world through faithful but fallen people. So so when this passage is calling you and me, if you're a Christian, to be faithful in spreading the word of Christ, understand that what I mean by faithful, faithful means living your life based on faith, what you believe. And part of being faithful and part of being useful to the Lord in our life useful in making Him known, is believing this. What we learn from John Mark, who withdrew. It is this. You cannot always be faithful. Only Christ is always faithful. You will not always be faithful. I will not always, have not always, consistently see how I am not always faithful. And the good news from the rest of the story is, is first of all that Christ receives failures. So be encouraged when you fail to be faithful that Christ receives failures even when His best servants refuse to receive failures. Christ receives John Mark. Christ keeps working in John Mark even when Paul will not. So do remember this. Do not measure the mercy of Christ by His most merciful servants. Surely Paul is a leader in mercy in the world. But even Paul is not the measure of Christ's mercy that is available to us. I've been so helped in this year to read Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly. Our church is going through that together. I was reading this with a brother this week. And here's a comment. Uh, based on Hebrews 5, 2, what can we learn that Jesus can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he is himself beset with weakness? John Owen, commenting on that, said this, this gentle dealing by Christ our high priest, when we think of Christ as a high priest who is gentle, that should be the highest encouragement and comfort to believers. 
because of this. If there were not in Christ an absolute sufficiency, I'll just explain this, of this disposition in him, and that as, and here's his language, unto all occurrences, he must needs cast us all off in displeasure. Here's what he means. He can deal gently with you when you fail. Because if he didn't have absolute sufficiency in that gentleness and weak disposition, if he wasn't completely gentle and always gentle in every occurrence or circumstance, then he would have to send us away because we're so very weak and unfaithful. But he doesn't. Which means that he has an absolute sufficiency. He's totally full of gentleness to all who come to him always. And John Mark must have come to him in maybe even this grief. Beloved, Christ receives failures. We need an all-sufficient Savior. We need a Savior, not just for the sins we committed before we came to know Him. We need a Savior who is all-sufficient for all the fellowship-breaking behavior we keep on committing and we need to keep on coming to Him for. And we have an all-sufficient Savior. Christ receives failures like John Mark and Christ restores failures like John Mark. Have you heard of the Gospel of Mark? Do you know that the Apostle Peter would later say, this is my son, Mark. He restored failing, withdrawing Mark to faithfulness. The most faithful people that Christ chooses to use, if they are paying attention, will have daily and sometimes major failures to remind us that we are not the Christ. We are not the one that God has entrusted salvation to or our salvation to. You are not the Christ, and I am not the Christ. You don't have to be the Christ because there is a Christ. And you don't have to be the Christ if you have the Christ. And He bore our shame as well as our sins on the cross. Our sorrows for the ways we've failed, He bore all the guilt such that now He receives us when we still fail Him and even restores us. We can learn about what it means to be faithful and useful to Christ to spread His Word through with drawing Mark. And we can also learn this lesson from useful Timothy. Useful Timothy. In chapter 16, look in verses 1 through 5 at this second person who is exemplifying for us what it means to be used for the spread of the glory of God's Savior. Now, y'all may not have heard how the, the pig and the chicken, they were supposed to go in business one day and open up a restaurant, and the pig says to the chicken, well, what should we call it? And the chicken said, I got the perfect name. It's bacon and eggs, because everybody loves bacon and eggs. Are you with me, pig? 
And the pig doesn't have to think long before he looks back at his so-called friend, the chicken, and say, you forget it. Never. And the chicken looked back at the, the pig and said, well, why not? The pig said, bacon and eggs. I'm not doing it because I'd be all in. I'd be totally committed and you would just be involved. (laughs) Paul comes to Lystra and he meets a disciple named Timothy and he says, you want to do ministry? You and me? We'll go into the Jewish territories. Um, I know these people. And they're going to think you're the son of a dog. And they're not going to be too open to receiving your teaching, these Jews, because your mother's a Jew, but your father's a Gentile. And they'll think you betrayed our faith and won't really think you're one of them because you haven't done what they did. And Timothy, I understand you were an adult male. All right. You're an adult male. But I can arrange the slicing. I'll just be involved. Will you be committed? And Timothy looks at him and says, do I have to? That's not what he says. He says, schedule the slice. Schedule my circumcision. For the sake, verse 3, that's one way to translate because of. Schedule the slice for the sake of, out of consideration for the Jews. Now we need to think carefully for a moment. Because there is a do I have to kind of mentality that is just rampant in our Christianity. And it will keep us from faithfully serving the Lord and it will end up hurting others. Paul wants Timothy to help him, verse 4, to de- think about this, to deliver to the churches what? To deliver to a group of people who are mixed between Jews, those who come from Israel, and Gentiles, those who are from outside of Israel. He wants to deliver to those churches what? In verse 4. The decisions that were made in the passage before, which said you don't have to be circumcised. He wants Timothy to help him to call them to obey that decision. You don't have to be circumcised. And when Timothy stands up and is proclaiming this to this mixed church, Gentiles, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. When you, when you stand behind the pulpit, Timothy, and you start preaching that what circumcision was always meant to point to, that, that you were cut off from the world and you were devoted totally to God, even if it was to your pain, that, that that picture was fulfilled for you by your Savior, that as we saw last week, he was cut off to God in a life 
filled with rejecting the flesh, rejecting the world, and following Christ, or following the Lord in total obedience. And then when he stood on the cross, because he had no sense to die for himself, he was cut off by God in judgment. That's the gospel, that there is someone who earned your righteousness and paid for your unrighteousness. That's the gospel. When you preach that, Timothy, I want them to be able to hear you. Why? Why does he have to get circumcised? Hang with me. He brings this up in Galatians as well. Listen, when he speaks about Titus, not Timothy, but Titus, he says Titus was a Greek. And there were people in the congregation when Titus was preaching who slipped in to spy out our freedom in Christ, and they wanted to bring us into slavery. So for Titus, I did not circumcise him so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for the people who who were hearing. Later in Galatians, hang with me. Later in Galatians, he says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand in the freedom that Christ has given you. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery. Do not accept circumcision. Because if you try to do some work and think that God will accept you because of something you did, anything you did, then Christ is no advantage to you. You're trying to do it without Christ. And if you try to do it without Christ, Christ can't help you. You'll be severed from Christ, he says in Galatians chapter 5. If you try to obey God and to meet his satisfaction by obeying God, you've got to be perfect and you won't do it. There is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision that counts for anything. It's not whether you've been circumcised or not circumcised. It is faith that matters and faith that works through love. The word of Christ fills the world through faithful people. This is what matters to the apostle Paul. He's being consistent. Some people who are sloppy readers and who aren't very interested in understanding God's word will get to this passage after the last passage and say, well, look at how confused he is. Look how the Bible is so filled with contradictions. There's not contradictions. But you've got to think. What matters is that the gospel, the good news of salvation, is preserved for others and they can hear it. And what also matters is that we would stand in the freedom Christ brings. So Paul, I'm sure, is going up to Timothy and saying, look, no one needs to be circumcised to be accepted by God. But if you want to be accepted by some men, You have to let go of some of your freedoms. The Jews may not be able to hear you because your father was a Greek. So I want you to be able to go up to them and say, no, 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 bro. Uh, I did that Tuesday. I got that done. If you want to strengthen your fellow Jews in the truth, Timothy, they will hear you better if this obstacle is out of the way. So what I'm calling you to do is not to submit to circumcision, but to choose circumcision. I, I, I Be totally clear. This is not for your soul. You're already a disciple, it says in the text. It's not for your soul. It's for their hearing. 
Listen to me. Do I have to? Are the words of an unwilling child. You ask your kid, will you serve the family this morning by doing these things? That's not on my list. I got a list. That's my sibling's list. Uh, Do I have to do that? You ask a, this one's coming close to home now. Uh, You ask one of your soccer players, will you play this role instead of that one? Do I have to? That is the words, I want you to see this, that's the word of an unwilling child and an immature believer. The children of God can be immature when they are unwilling to do things that Christ commands or that they're free not to do but they should do for the sake of others. This is what this is the attitude that is rampant in our part of the world. If it's not necessary for salvation, I ain't going to do it. I'm not interested. You can't make me. That is the that is a terrible bar in in line of thinking. If it's not necessary for salvation, I won't do it. There are things that are not necessary for salvation, but that are necessary for discipleship. When you come to faith and are fully saved, Christ then puts commands on us that we have to observe because he's the Lord. And then he also calls us to to use our freedom for others. So Christ frees us from standing by ourselves in judgment. This is what Paul, Paul uses the language of freedom. Stand in your freedom. Christ frees us from standing by ourselves and facing God in judgment. He will be there for us. It will not be based upon our works. It will be His righteousness that gets us in. But Christ also frees us from demanding ourselves in our life. He frees us from our freedoms. You don't have to have everything you want when you want it. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life, to give His comfort, to give His convenience, to love and serve others. Luke, the writer of Acts, is rebuking those troublemakers one chapter before who are trying to trouble people into trying to base their acceptance before God on their obedience. And he's commending, he's commending the commitment of pig-like, useful Timothy. I'm all in. I want to make much of Christ, not myself. And that's going to cost my comfort. That's going to cost my convenience. But I'm all in. Are you all in? Out of consideration for the weak. The Jews are wrong. The weak are those who are immature. They don't really understand. They're not being consistent. They're wrong. And Paul says, out of consideration for the people who are wrong, because we can help them become strong and not weak, use your freedom. Do I have to? You should root out every ounce of that in your heart. It is typically evidence of immaturity and not faithfulness. Withdrawing Mark, useful Timothy. And then there's a third person who calls us to be faithful 
in chapter 16, and that is the directing spirit. The directing spirit. What we're watching is faithful people adjusting. You see that? They're making adjustments. Paul's got a plan. Barnabas has got a plan. Silas didn't plan to go. They're adjusting their team in the first section to advance the word of Christ. That's the priority. They're provoked by this sharp disagreement, but then they adjust in order to advance the word of Christ. Timothy, more than they did, had to make an adjustment. He adjusts to circumcision in order to advance the word of Christ. That's why this sermon is called Adjust and Advance. Because the passage is calling you and me to be flexible, to be ready, to be eager, to adjust our plans, to adjust our desires. If it means the advance of Christ's name, if it means the building up of other people, look back in chapter 15, verse 32, what God does with people like this. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. When they go out and visit other churches, they are strengthened with the words of God. Look in chapter 15 and verse 41. Look what happens when people adjust to advance. Paul takes Silas through Syria and Cilicia, and what happens, churches are Strengthen. Look at chapter 16 and verse 5. The same thing that Luke keeps on saying. Is this what you want? Is this what you want? This is how it gets done. The churches were strengthened in the faith when Timothy joined Paul in that kind of freedom to preach the gospel. And they increased in number daily. Do you want that? So we normally think of Paul as being, you know, the ultimate missionary and what we mean is pioneer. He's always just going to the new place and the hard place. To this point, in the second missionary journey, all we've seen him do is not go to save the lost, but to strengthen the saved. And that's part of being a missionary in Christ's service. It's to strengthen the saved. But now we turn in verses 6 through 10. And Paul's got a plan to save the lost. Paul's plan is to advance Christ's fame. Look there, verse one or verse six in Asia. But he has to adjust. See that? He was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do what he wanted to do in Asia and speak the word there. Paul has a plan. Okay. I'm going to adjust. Now, verse 7, his plan is to advance Christ's word in Bithynia. End of verse 7, he has to adjust because the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go to Bithynia. Hang with me. Those were his plans that he had to adjust. What he wasn't planning is going to Europe. Going to... Macedonia. That was not the plan. He told us the plan. It was to go to strengthen the, the servants and the churches. And then he was trying to go in Asia and, and take the gospel there. 
And, 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 and then all of a sudden he has to adjust again to advance the word of Christ. When he sees this night vision in verse 9, he has this vision of a man from Macedonia. He says, we need help. Will you come to us? In verse 10, he, he concludes that it is God who is calling him to preach the word there. The faithful person who's focused on in this last section is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Jesus who is directing advance. He's telling them where to go and where not to go. So I think what, what, what's being held out for you and for me is if we want to be faithful, if we want to be useful to Christ to take His Word out, we need to yield to the person and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I'm guessing you could all say amen. 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 We'll do it, do it other times too. Um, uh, I'm guessing everyone, even in our town, might say amen if we say something like, we need to yield to the Spirit's direction. Because Christians today are obsessed with finding out God's will for our life. And we're mostly thinking about it when it comes to jobs or where we're going to live, or whatever, or or certain decisions we're going to make, what is God's will for this situation. It's really hard to have confidence to stand on God's directing in those kinds of situations if He hasn't given us a word, and He may not give us a word in the same way that He does here. I want you to notice a few things that the Spirit is directing a few things about how the Spirit directs, because I'm sure you're curious about this. Number one, when did the Spirit do this? He did it in the book of Acts. Hang with me. In chapter 1, verse 8, He, he was sent by Christ for the purpose of, of sending the gospel across borders. In other words, He was doing it then in certain ways because that was a special time. Not just when I want you to notice, but I want you also to notice, secondly, what he's directing. The Spirit of Jesus, that's the phrase that we're given. The Spirit of Jesus, he directs with respect to Jesus. He leads in making Jesus known. Isn't that what he's doing here? He's given leadership in, in verse 6 not to make Jesus known in Asia. He's given leadership in verse 10 to make Jesus known in Macedonia. It's the Spirit of Jesus. So when you're looking for direction from God in the Holy Spirit, understand what Jesus said about the Spirit. I'm about to leave you, but there is a Comforter who is coming, and He will make known the things that are concerning me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is about making Christ known. When, what, and how. This may be helpful. How does he do this? He said no through circumstances. He says yes through Scripture. He says no through circumstances. He says yes through Scripture. He says no through circumstances. We don't know all that is meant by verse 6 and verse 7, how they were forbidden to go into Asia and into Bithynia. But some... 
What it does say is they were not allowed to speak the word. Maybe they went to the synagogue that Saturday and the Jews that in those places did not ask them to stand up and give a word. Maybe that's it. Maybe they were sick on the days they were supposed to be doing evangelism and they were not allowed to do the word. Maybe there was a flood that blocked the passageway into Bithynia. We don't know what it means for him to forbid or or, or, or to not allow them to speak the word, but he seems to have said no through the circumstances. And he says yes to them in verses 9 and 10 through Scripture. Now, why are you saying Scripture, Pastor? Doesn't it say through a vision? They concluded, look in verse 10. Paul saw a vision, we concluded. See that? Paul wasn't interpreting this by himself. We, the author of Acts is included now, Luke, we concluded, we discussed the circumstances of saying no, we discussed this vision, and what I believe they did because of what Luke has kept telling us in Acts is they interpreted this with Scripture, and that's where the yes is. What did it say? Acts chapter 9, when Paul was saved, I will send you to the Gentiles. Just a few chapters before Acts 13, he quoted Isaiah 49 in the scriptures that says, God has made me a light to the nations to bring them Christ. So when he has a vision, he knows he can't go here. And a vision of a man in Macedonia says, will you help us? He knows the gospel is not in Macedonia. He knows he's been called by God to preach the gospel to all the nations. So we might as well go to Macedonia. But he's lining it up with Scripture. It's consistent with Scripture. I hope that helps. It is. The Spirit is doing something special in Acts that he doesn't need to do now. He's getting the gospel out in a fresh way, and so he might be directing in, in, in unique ways. He, When people... Look for the direction of the Spirit in Acts, though. They're, they're looking for how they can do best in making Jesus known. It's not making their life easier or better. And he says no through circumstances and yes through Scripture. Now let me leave you with a call to be faithful. We may not be doing it exactly the same way. But right now, if you are a Christian, you have the same mission and you should adjust to advance. So often people are looking for direction. And, and we should. I mean, if anyone's going to lead us, we should have God leading us. But God is not going to lead you to anything that would prevent you from obeying Him. It will never contradict Scripture. The Spirit of Jesus will never say yes to you. If saying yes means you've got to disobey this command and that command and that command. He's always about us growing and obeying Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, beyond the ideas of what's he going to call us to do? Well, he'll never call us to contradict Scripture. There's lots of freedom, actually. There's lots of freedom in the things that we're normally wanting direction on. It often doesn't matter the details of what is filling our day or the location. It doesn't matter as much as long as we're keeping with Scripture. 
what does matter in this passage where the Spirit is directing is God's unchanging and universal yes to the desire to strengthen believers. That's His will for you. And if you're a believer, His will for you is to be strengthened by believers. So, you don't need to dream up something new to do for the Lord. You don't need to, you don't need to be used by God to do something grand and impressive and brand new. That may actually be for someone else to do. It was Peter who went to Asia and Bithynia, not Paul. But definitely there is the Spirit who is there to direct you, not just in one moment in your life but in simple, everyday living, the Spirit is concerned that you always be willing and available to adjust your plans to advance Christ's kingdom. I know you got plans. I got plans. How long I'm going to be at the grocery store. I got a schedule that gets changed. We have conversations that take a wrong turn. We have circumstances in our life that take a turn. In all of those circumstances, those are opportunities. We've got to view them as this, to help others to know Christ. And we can live a rich and full Christian life in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in because there is Christ's word to obey and trust in every circumstance. Moms, when you are raising difficult, in a difficult season, you're raising children in a difficult season, you have the word of Christ that you can trust and obey. And you've got an opportunity to show that he's worthy in it. When you are serving in a role that you would not like to have, you want a better or different role. When obedience to God is painful, it's the will of the Spirit for us to obey Christ. And sometimes, in order to make Christ known as the one who is all-sufficient for us, sometimes He makes that known through our dreams dying. How are you going to show that he's worthy? And not just make a name for yourself. It's when we trust his ways over our convenience. When it's inconvenient to trust him and do what he says and we do it. When we turn other people's attention constantly to him. Beloved, I want to leave you with this. Focus on what we know the Spirit wants to do. It's throughout the Scriptures. He wants to make much of Jesus. So it is a good question to say what job, what house, what spouse, what role will help me help the most people to know Christ? What job, what House, what spouse, what role will help me to know Jesus best? That's how he leads. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would fill us with faith in it. We pray that you would make us those who yield to your no's and accept your yeses. 
We pray that we would not demand dreams and voices, but we would prioritize and fast and pray and focus on making Christ known. Even when he tells us that we're not going to make him known in that place or with that person, you are the Lord, not us. Make us faithful servants of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.